Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, my name is Harrison uh, Holbrook. I'm pastor here at Hope Chapel, and uh, welcome if you're visiting with us today. We're, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us on this Christmas Eve. Um, this is the, the last uh, Sunday of Advent as well as Christmas Eve, and so our passage today isn't baby Jesus, but if you want baby Jesus, then come back tonight for our Christmas Eve service. That will be our baby Jesus service. So, uh, Besides the Bible, um, my favorite writing of all time is called The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. Uh, this is a short uh, little uh, speech, and it's, it would be great to read if you haven't read it before. Um, but in it, uh, Lewis tries to rip open an inconsolable secret in each of us. He calls it a pining and desire for glory, which we can barely put words to. We try to put words to it and call it uh, beauty or goodness or maybe shalom, as we've talked about life as it was meant to be. Uh, But he refers to it as a far-off country that your life experience has constantly suggested should exist out there somewhere, but also this glory is something you've never actually um, seen fully in your experience. Sometimes, he says, uh, people will associate this glory with special moments from their past. Uh, It was there, Uh, maybe, you know, in my childhood, When me and my spouse were dating, when our kids were little, it was amazing. But he says if you went back to those moments, um, it wouldn't actually be there. He says you would find uh, just the scent of a flower uh, you have not yet found, the echo of a tune you have not yet heard, news from a country you have never yet visited. Uh, Not the real thing. Sometimes uh, we think we find this glory in nature, uh, looking at the Grand Canyon or the Great Redwoods or the Rocky Mountains, and we say, it's there. Uh, But seeing these sights isn't fully satisfying to our deepest longings, because we ourselves still aren't glorious. We're on the outside of glory as mere spectators. Uh, Lewis says that we want to be united with the glory we see, pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to be accepted into the heart of glory. And he says that all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that one day, Lord willing, we will get in. We who are in Jesus shall find ourselves in glory. And so our theme this year has been our calling to cultivate shalom as Christians. uh, To bring about by the power of the Holy Spirit tastes of this glory, of the kingdom of heaven, of life as it was meant to be, in the actual spheres of our own experience in our communities and our workplaces, And Jesus has taught us how to do it. Uh, We saw him locate that shalom uh, upside down for us in the Beatitudes. We saw practically how to get there to that shalom in the Proverbs. And then we saw examples of the disciples doing it um, all throughout Acts. But as we, uh, if we had ended our theme uh, just there before Advent, um, we would have done you guys a pretty big disservice. Because as you've tried to live this calling this year, uh, you've likely experienced a lot of opposition in your different spheres, Uh, maybe resistance in your workplace, uh, stubbornness in your own family. In your own heart, uh, you've experienced fears, distractions, complacency, stubbornness, resistance, temptations that have drawn you away. So as we've gone about cultivating shalom this year, uh, none of us have reached our goal. I have to tell you that for the rest of your earthly life, this side of heaven, uh, you will not fully uh, reach our yearly emphasis of cultivating shalom in its fullness. 
And make no mistake that the kingdom of heaven is here. Uh, we get tastes and glimpses of it. We can actually make permanent advances for the kingdom uh, against the darkness, but sin is still present with us. Satan and his demons are still present with us. And this means that there's a day that we're awaiting, uh, and more truly a person that we're awaiting, the Prince of Shalom himself, who will bring uh, this fullness full of finally. And today, um, our passage, we're going to focus on that day, uh, the more permanent and final shalom that is yet to come. So we've been uh, doing images of heaven in Advent, if you've been with us, and our most final and complete set of images that we're given come here in Revelation 21 through 22. And these images actually draw together all the past images that we looked at, images of the Old Testament, tabernacle and temple, and from different prophets. And these images were given by God at a tough time in the early church. There was uh, violent persecution from without, uh, deceptive false teaching from within the church, temptation to compromise with the culture around them by worshiping idols or giving in to uh, Babylon-esque promiscuity and immorality. And even for those who didn't walk away from Jesus in the midst of all that, uh, there was a temptation to become lukewarm and complacent as you're torn between all of these competing desires for your heart. And um, it's not unlike our time. uh, And in a tough moment, the early church needed, and what we needed was a vision from God uh, that peeled back the spiritual curtain, that depicted the end of the paths of the Babylon-esque immorality, the end of the path of the false teachers, those who grew lukewarm and complacent, and then the end of the path for those who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, clung to Jesus. In the midst of that violent persecution, in the midst of that temptation, those who gave their very lives for Christ, they needed a powerful image of what was awaiting them on the other side to enable them to persevere. So in our passage this morning, God is peeling back the curtain for us and showing us some images of glory for those in Christ that we will be received into. And we get four uh, larger images that I want to focus on this morning. Uh, Four images that reveal truths about what's awaiting us on that other side. So you got uh, first the square city coming down. You got its high walls and foundations. You got a permanent bright light in the middle and a river. So square city, high walls and foundation, permanent bright light and a river. Uh, Why does God give us these images? And what do these uh, really mean for us? So before we dive into that, let me, let me pray for us. Father, you know um, the temptations that assail us on a, a daily basis. Um, you know our hearts being torn between competing desires. And um, Lord, it's so easy for us to wander off um, the path you've laid for us. Um, I pray that you would um, give us this, this vision of heaven. Give us your spirit. Um, give us your wisdom, uh, Lord, that we might be renewed in our devotion towards pursuing uh, this heaven, pursuing cultivating shalom in the midst of a fallen world. Um, Be with us as we uh, look at this today, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's let's open the door uh, to glory for a minute. Um, The first image is this, this square city. So look at verse 10 in your bulletin. You can follow along, verse 10 here. Um, He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like 
most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Uh, and then look at verse 16. Uh, the city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. He measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height all equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, etc., etc. And then verse 21, the temple gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So what is John seeing here? Um, Some modern people uh, read this and they take it literally. And they say, oh, heaven is going to be nice. Um, Pretty fancy, lots of jewels, streets of gold. Um, It's almost like we're going to live inside of an expensive wedding ring. Um, There's going to be no shortage of bling for you um, in heaven. But what an Israelite like John would have seen here is something much more profound than just the bling. I mentioned last week uh, the Holy of Holies. Uh, This was the innermost part of the tabernacle and temple for them, where the Lord uh, dwelt with Israel in the fullness of his glory in a terrifying tornado. And here's the the thing with the Holy of Holies. This room was a perfect square. It was inlaid with gold and bejeweled. It was actually patterned like an ancient royal tent and palace. The ornateness of it carried a message to the ancient world that the king of this people lives here. And one man, the high priest, could go into this room uh, once a year, into God's glory, bearing the tribes of Israel on stones on his breastplate. Which stones, you might ask? Well, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian. The same 12 that are actually listed on the gates of the city. So in this vision, uh, John sees a perfectly square city, bejeweled and laid with gold, coming down. And John would not merely have been seeing a heaven of bling, he would have seen a holy of holies descending down. It's not 30 feet across like the one in the temple was, but it's 12,000 stadia, 1,380 miles across. Half the size of the United States, uh, all those huge cities in China, Tokyo, New York City, L.A., smash them all together, a massive holy of holies city descending down from heaven, the new Jerusalem. And then verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. In this vision, the entire city has become God's sanctuary. And this meant God dwelt there with us in his fullness, in all of his glory. The tornado with us with nothing in between. And we're invited into it all. We see him face to face. We enter that glory ourselves. This is the first and biggest truth that God wants you to know about heaven is that there you will live with him, your maker, your father, your greatest love, your pearl of inestimable value, the very founder and purpose of your existence, the one for who the joy set before him gave up heaven to endure suffering and death and hell for you, Jesus our Savior. We will possess him in his fullness. Everything he is, he will be yours and you will be his forever. This is the future for those who are in Jesus. And it's implied in this early church, don't give up. Don't turn away. Don't grow complacent. Look at what's coming. Look at who is coming. 
So the first thing to look forward to in heaven is God himself. And we could really stop the sermon here um, because what else could you need, right? Um, but God knows that it's, it's hard to begin to imagine what possessing him in his fullness actually means for us. So actually the rest of these images in this passage fill it out. Uh, what benefits might come from being with God in this perfect way? So the second image uh, is the gates and foundations of the city. Look at, look at verse 12 here. Um, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. The south, three gates. The west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So uh, in, the, in the ancient world, uh, much of the world until airplanes came about, um, walls and gates of a city were crucial for the people's protection and stability. Uh, cities were invaded from the ground all the time. Remember uh, Israel struggling to get the walls of Jerusalem built and Nehemiah and Ezra to have any kind of safety from the people around them. They were being attacked constantly as they were trying to do it. And When this vision uh, was given in the first century, the church was very physically unsafe. Uh, they were facing crucifixion and beheadings from Rome for professing Jesus. And for John, uh, peering through this door, this image of a great high wall and big gates meant for them that in God's presence, there would be safety and security that nothing and no one could penetrate. There they would be protected forever. And the 12 foundations likewise meant the city was stable. From the earth and the elements, nothing is going to move this place from above or below. Twelve foundations, a lot of foundations. I don't know how many you got for your house, probably one. Uh, the city's got twelve. This vision of safety, ironically, goes even further in verse 25 to say, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So the, the city has these high walls and big gates, which bring safety, but it doesn't actually need them. Because God has vanquished every one of his enemies. Even the darkness of night itself, when a city would usually be attacked, the darkness is gone. So the gates stay open. In the city of God, you don't need locks. It's excessively safe. Now we, uh, in America, in the 21st century, are in a much safer place to be a Christian than the early church in Rome. But uh, this year, our congregation has had our fair share of, of death, of cancer, Tragedies, uh, scary car accidents even this past month. Uh, sicknesses everywhere. We're not yet safe at all. What would your life be like in God's city with its high walls? On 12 foundations with every enemy of God gone. In a body that can't get sick, that can't get hurt, that can't die. With the Lord himself giving you eternal life. That's the second image. Something for us to look forward to in heaven is, is safety with Jesus. The third image given here is this, this bright light. Uh, look in verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And then go down to, to verse 5 here in chapter 22 at the end. Um, and night will be no more. 
They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So uh, darkness in Scripture is a common image used by God to refer to three things. Uh, First, our lack of knowledge, our ignorance, the darkness of your mind. Then second, the sin that flows from that ignorance, the darkness of your deeds. And then third, the hiding that takes place after that sin, the darkness of your shame. All these go together in the Bible. They're all called walking in the darkness. Imagine uh, we were to go down in the basement as a church together and uh, have a potluck and turn out all the lights as soon as we start. Um, And you can't see your neighbor. You can't see the food. uh, Illustration of our ignorance. Um, That leads you to you're running into everybody. You're stepping on kids. You're spilling food on people. That's the picture of your sin. And then while uh, hurting others, after you do all that, you get really ashamed at all the stuff you've done. So you just go in the corner and hide. The Bible says spiritually our, our lives are like that. Ignorance, sin, and shame, uh, walking in the darkness. But Isaiah, a long time ago, prophesied that for those who dwelt in deep darkness, a bright light would dawn. And when the light turns on, everything was going to change. He referred to Jesus' first coming in which the truth was revealed to us by Jesus, in which his spirit removed the scales from our eyes and our ignorance was gone. And then he's also referring to when the spirit is causing us to be reborn and enabling us to repent and make changes based on Jesus' truth that dispels our sin. And then lastly, he's referring to um, us being revealed by God in our hiding. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're not cast out. We're embraced in love as sinners in light of his righteousness on our behalf. So our ignorance, sin, and shame are dispelled by Christ. And now on the one hand, we've been freed from the darkness. We have the ability to walk in the light. While on the other hand, as you well know, uh, this side of heaven, sin is still present. And can tempt us and lure us back into the darkness. Sometimes, uh, many times, we, we give in to that temptation. And so in our Christian experience, it's not wrong to say that we have day and night, like a sun rising and setting over and over and over again. That's your life. But when John peers through this door into glory, he sees none of those cycles of light and darkness. No sun and moon. He sees a permanent light in heaven that never goes out and it's coming from the Lord himself. Again, some take this image as a literal meaning, well, God's going to be a big lamp for us. Um, That's going to be nice. But again, I think John was seeing something much more profound that in heaven no one walks in the darkness, not even for a minute. Imagine this, in heaven you always know and remember God's truth. There's no tempting or skeptical voices in your head. And then you always obey that truth. There's no tempting hands of demons pulling you into other more wicked paths. And you have no desire for hiding. There are no voices of shame in your head. All the demons have been cast out. All the temptation, the ignorance, and sin and shame are gone. And we walk in the light for every second of our existence for eternity. This is what those who are in Jesus can look forward to. Do you want to experience your shame gone forever? Do you want your sin struggles gone forever? That's what John is seeing here. And it's coming from the Lord himself. He is our light. And that's the third image um, that we're given. 
And lastly, uh, the fourth image is, is this river. Um, this is, uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 22. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the streets of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this image of a river in heaven shows up a lot in Scripture, in Ezekiel, and then again in Zechariah, and then finally here. And so why this river? Three times. Um, in, in the ancient Near East for Israel, there's a lot of desert. Um, the presence of a river meant there was life there, abundant life, teeming life. There was an oasis, essentially, from which you could live and build a civilization. Uh, remember Psalm 1 uh, uses the image of a river and said we're supposed to be like trees planted by a stream of water. The fruit of those trees do not fail. The river, uh, for them, is where true life can happen. And so when John sees a river in the midst of a city flowing from God himself, this meant that life as it was meant to be is here. An ancient Israelite would also assume that one had to arrive at such a place from traveling on a long desert road. You're hot, you're thirsty, you're tired. You've been going through a place that's not hospitable for life. And John finally sees a flowing, cool, clean, wide river to jump in, to drink from, to wash in. And besides it, the tree of life itself with fruit hanging down. And this fruit fills us and heals us of all our wounds that we've sustained from a lifetime in the desert. And again, some, some people read this and think, well, there's going to be a river in heaven for us to swim in. That's nice. But again, uh, John and Ezekiel and Zechariah would have seen something much more profound, that the river is signifying for us shalom at last. Life as it was meant to be. Everything you've ever longed for in your soul. Everything we've tried to find in vain in the desert. Shalom is here in its fullness. It will never go away. Because it flows from God himself. That's the, the final image that those in Jesus can look forward to is the shalom at last. So just to, to summarize all this for you. Um, in this glimpse into glory... You're with the love of your life, the Lord himself, with nothing in between. You see him face to face in a massive holy of holies. You dwell there in complete, excessive, abundant safety with huge walls and gates and foundations, but no enemies. And there is no darkness there. You always remember the truth, walk in the truth. You never have a need to hide. And you feast on and enjoy the fullness of shalom, life as it was always meant to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what's on the other side of the door. It's a promise. It's a perfect picture. Literally perfect. And this picture uh, motivated the early church because God gave them a clear picture on the end of the path they walked. They could cultivate shalom in the face of death and persecution and social ostracization. And in fact, uh, C.S. Lewis also wisely tells us that if you read history you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. The apostles themselves who set, foot, set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they become so ineffective in this one. 
Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So my charge to you this Christmas Eve morning is as we move from talking about cultivating shalom this year to living it out imperfectly uh, next year is to aim at heaven. Aim at heaven. Satan wants you badly to stop dreaming of heaven, to stop longing for it, to forget it ever existed in the first place. Life is just not going to be shalom. Get used to it. Settle. God isn't real. Even if he was, he would never love and accept you. Your sins are too many. The church is corrupt. Your family is messed up. Your friendships are all surface. Stop longing and striving for more. Give up. When we hear that voice, we must come back to this passage. And remember, no, there is a God of glory. There is a real shalom, and it's coming soon. And I'm setting my face towards it. I'm setting my feet towards it. I'm walking and running with Jesus towards the coming of the kingdom and the fullness of its glory. That's why God gave us this passage. That as a church that we wouldn't give up. In our families we wouldn't give up. In our workplaces and neighborhoods that we wouldn't give up. That we would aim at heaven. The true shalom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that Jesus is coming to finish the work that his body has already started here. So that's my charge to you. Jesus' charge to you. Do not settle. Don't give up out there and don't give up in here. Aim at heaven. And on this day, when this comes true, you will not be put to shame. You will not be let down. I just want to end uh, the sermon with reading a bit uh, from the the book of Pilgrim's Progress. uh, An old book by a pastor that's a parable of sorts of the Christian life. And I want to pick it up uh, when he finally arrives at the celestial city. It's described to him by these shining ones who meet uh, the main character, Christian, and his friend at the base of the city. Um, And this is all based in scripture, so um, imagine hearing this for yourself one day. The shining ones told them that the beauty and glory of the celestial city was inexpressible. There, they said, is the Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable company of the angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. You are gone now, said they, to the paradise of God, wherein you shall see the tree of life, and eat of the never-fading fruits thereof. And when you come there, you shall have white robes given to you, and your walk and talk shall be every day with the king, even all the days of eternity. There you shall not See again such things as you saw when you were in the lower regions upon the earth, to wit sorrow, sickness, affliction, and death, for the former things are passed away. And the men asked, uh, what must we do in the holy place? To whom it was answered, you must there receive the comforts for all your toil, and have joy for all your sorrow. You must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers and tears and suffering for the king by the way. In that place, you will enjoy the perpetual sight and vision of the Holy One. For there you shall see him as he is. There also you shall serve him continually with praise, 
with shouting and thanksgiving. There your eyes shall be delighted with seeing and your ears with hearing the pleasant voice of the mighty one. There you shall enjoy your friends again that are gone thither before you. And there you shall with joy receive everyone that follows into the holy place after you. There also you shall be clothed with glory and majesty. And put on an equipage fit to ride out with the king of glory. Let's pray. Jesus, may this day come soon. May you come soon. And bring us this place. May security, light, and shalom that all come from you be ours finally and fully forever. May you hold us and keep us with you in this lower region of suffering until we possess you in this glory. Amen.